Welcome to part two of New Teacher Talks conversation about communication with students, colleagues, and families with Nancy Betkar, Deepti Karo, and Dustin Wright. What have you found to be the greatest challenges for new teachers when it comes to relationship building and how they can overcome those challenges? And I'm going to come back to Deepti to start this conversation because how do you prepare your pre-service teachers to go out and develop relationships with people in the schools that they're going to serve in? This is a question that of developing relationships with uh, for new teachers that we talk about a lot in class in our uh, with our pre-service teachers. Um, it, one point that somebody had made earlier was keeping your administrators and your colleagues informed about what's happening with you. And I find that this is particularly challenging for pre-service teachers, even as students often, but certainly when they're on the job, because they're very worried about how they'll look to somebody, for instance, right? Even small things, like if you're sick, they don't want to admit they're sick. They'll just say, oh, I have to take off, or I can't be there for personal reasons, for instance. And not realizing that it can convey so many things to the listener. So rather than that, while we don't have to spill all of our personal life details to people, that's also important in staying professional. But we do need to provide enough information to let somebody know that the decision we're making about something, for instance, or about not being, being absent or something like that is a professional one. If we don't let people know what's happening or the help we need or things like that, it's hard for people to step in and help us. That leads to a greater sense of isolation sometimes because especially with new teachers, they may often feel frustrated thinking, I'm trying so hard, why can't anybody see that? Not realizing that the reason they can't see it is because you haven't mentioned it to anybody. Another challenge I find with young teachers, novice teachers, is understanding the distinction between a friend and a colleague. In a school setting or in any professional setting, our first priority is to build a professional relationship. And that means thinking about the types of things we are talking about how we're talking about students, about other colleagues, and what kind of information we're sharing. And of course, I know in everybody's teacher education programs, we often talk about the importance of being aware of what we're sharing on our social media. But I would say extend that to all parts of your life, right? And making sure that the first priority we're building is a professional relationship, not a personal friend relationship. I think if we stay focused on that, that mean, doesn't mean you cannot be friends with your colleagues. It just means that your first priority is to be professional. Thank you so much, Deepti. Dustin, would you share your perspective from a principal's point of view, please, about relationship building and those challenges that you see new teachers have? I like what Deepti said about um, that idea of the relationships that we focus on with our colleagues and making sure that it's professional. I'm going to talk about two things uh, that are going to focus more on uh, communicating with the families of our students. And, and they're in the areas of time management and breaking down barriers. As a new teacher, remember your, your classroom newsletter, um, 
the things that you're working on are not going to be the same as the 20-year veteran teacher down the hall. What I would encourage you is, is learn from them, borrow stuff from them, steal stuff from them uh, to, to make um, some of these communication challenges easier. As we're trying to figure out how to manage our time, manage our lessons, manage our energy after long days, and then be a positive communicator, Think about focusing on high quality over high quantity. If you can invest the time and energy in getting a really good communication as a uh, with a parent, a really good phone call with that caregiver, as opposed to lots and lots of things, that might be helpful. Also, remember that technology or even just simple things like pictures can really help you out. My second grade daughter's classroom teacher does a fabulous job of bringing me into the classroom through pictures and and other things that she does. And that helps me as a parent know what's going on, which helps me feel safe and calm and confident in that. The other thing I would talk about is this idea of breaking down barriers with communication. I I have a good friend that talks about communication and he always says, you want to make it 100%. You want to get to everybody. I think we need to be realistic that our classroom email might not get read by everybody because email is not the best device, or sometimes there's language barriers. Uh, So think about what are the things that we can do that's going to help get to all of our families. And then especially those ones that we're not connecting with on a regular basis. If you're not hearing from some of those families, you're not getting those questions, take that as a sign that we might want to proactively reach out. It's the same way of if you see a student never raising their hand when you call on on your students for questions. Sometimes we want to know more from the students who aren't raising their hands than the ones who are. And then the last thing I would say is with those families, with those parents, that you're having trouble connecting with. There's an old quote of, you know, if opportunity doesn't knock, build the door. Reach out to them proactively. And that can be just a simple note home, a simple call, a simple work with, you know, a parent liaison at your school that can help you get across a language barrier. But just a simple, small step might be the first thing that helps build that relationship that's in the end going to be so powerful for the student. Thank you, Dustin. One of the things I've found to be so helpful, especially to communicate with families that I don't share a first language with, is to use Google Translate and to explain to them that I'm going to try to communicate this to you in your language. My grammar might not be perfect, but my good intentions are there and you can feel free to also communicate back in your language and I will do the translating on my end so that we can keep some of those communication channels open. Nancy, what have you found in your role as a social worker to be some of the greatest challenges for new teachers? Because you are there watching over everything that happens in a school, but you don't necessarily have that role where you need to jump in to make the situation better. What do you see? especially with young new teachers or frankly new teachers to the building, they need to understand that youth does not mean inexperience and newness does not mean that they don't have the expertise that they need in a classroom. And so proving themselves to colleagues or proving themselves to students isn't a power struggle, right? And this is where I see it mostly when it's when there are behaviors behavioral issues in the classroom, it becoming a power struggle, or it gets to be uh, a win 
lose situation as opposed to taking a moment <laughs> to breathe and taking a moment to maybe identify what's behind the conflict, what's motivating the conflict, knowing that you don't need to respond immediately unless it's an issue of safety, not embarrassing a student in front of their peers, and using consultation if that's what's going to be best. There have been more than one examples here where we've talked about sometimes we as professionals can make a mistake or say something wrong or regret something we did and being able to identify that, to learn from it, own it the next day or in a one-on-one -on -one opportunity with that student in order to learn from that and to move on. And I think it's also important for professionals to know their own triggers, right? So what is it in a classroom that's really bothering you or what drives you crazy about what that student is doing and why is that? What is it that's on your end that is a trigger for you and how can you address that for you personally so that it doesn't get in the way between you and the student? What a great response, Nancy. Each of you published in our book, The New Teacher's Guide to Overcoming Common Challenges. What makes the book unique is that each of the short articles, and they're purposely short because we know pre-service teachers, new teachers are busy people. They don't have time to read lengthy articles written by people like yourselves, people who work every day with students at all different levels, whether it's high school, middle school, elementary, early childhood. But what accompanies each of those articles is a downloadable resource that can be used right away by a new teacher or a pre-service teacher. They can be modified to make them useful. And each of you have a piece and a downloadable in the chapter about relationship building and communication. So I'd like to ask each of you to talk about what you wrote about and tell our audience about that downloadable resource that they can get by just going to the associated website that's connected to the book that's published through Rutledge. So Deep Dee, talk to us about your piece and about that downloadable and why it's so practical. The focus of the piece I wrote was about building a caring classroom. And I was very particular in the way I use that word care. I remember as an elementary teacher, caring was one of our pillars of character. That's the character program we used in our school. And I always understood it. It was explained to me as a value that a person is caring or can become caring. But it was often a challenge to think about, like, if someone's not acting in a caring way, then how do I get that kid to become caring? for instance, right? That's how I thought about it as an elementary teacher. And one of the things I've learned over the years is there's a different way of looking at caring is rather than seeing as an adjective, we can see it as a verb. And we engage in care, we do care. And we do care by engaging in one-on-one -on -one relationships. So the piece I wrote about talks about how there are two participants in a relationship, and both of them become active agents to build a relationship of care. And that care is very particular to that relationship. So if I have 22 students, ultimately, I have 22 relationships. It sounds overwhelming, but the fact is that that is true, whether we have taken time to think about it or not. We treat each child's in, its, in their own way in terms of what they need. 
So once we start doing that, our classroom becomes a much happier and kinder place and more enjoyable for our students and for ourselves. So that's kind of the background of it. The handout, as well as the what I've written in the book, really focuses on what are the steps to building that community in your classroom of establishing those caring relationships. So we start out with first, a person has to receive care to experience what care is. Then we teach our students in how to focus on others. And I suppose I should say, first, we teach ourselves these things. And then we help build this awareness in our students. But it's something that we model and practice all the time and give opportunities to do as well. So first, receive care. There are five steps. The second is to focus on others and really learn them so that we can learn what caring feels like to that person. And then third is learn the skills. I may want to help you, but if I don't know what to do, it's very difficult for me to actually help you. So that there are actual skills involved, right? Whether it's putting on a Band-Aid or developing active listening skills or making a newsletter, all these are skills we learn. The fourth step is practice giving care, receiving care and giving care. And this is something we model. We build in opportunities in our classroom to do it. Then the fifth one is, which we often might let go, but is actually the critical step that binds it all together and brings it home is the reflection. We become aware by realizing we did these things and then thinking about how did that turn out? What might I do differently? What went really well? Those sorts of conversations. And we can have those conversations even with the youngest of learners, with preschoolers, I've had these conversations. This is what the handout kind of unfolds, is this focus on care. And along with that, if I may, Beth, I'd like to add something I've started doing much more in my own classrooms with my pre-service teachers because of the pandemic is using a more trauma-informed approach and adding a focus on our physical body. So becoming aware of what are my muscles doing right now? Is my jaw clenched? How can my breathing, uh, Nancy talked about breathing earlier. So those sorts of techniques, there are so many out there, especially with young children, this becomes really important in helping them be aware and self-manage. And we as teachers need it as well. Care is very much a part of relationship building and giving yourself grace and thinking about how we're feeling right now as new teachers, as veteran teachers coming back. That downloadable will be extremely helpful to any new teacher. Nancy, this just seems to be a natural connection to you here. Talk about your contribution to the book, your short piece, but talk also with our audience about the downloadable that you created that they can use right away. I was so appreciative that you included me in this collection because you're talking about the whole relationship in within the building. So being a related service provider was just so important. As I mentioned before, the title of my article was Teaming with the School Social Worker. But in the first couple of sentences, I identified other related service personnel that I want to repeat right now, which would include perhaps counselors, social workers, deans psychologists, special education teachers or case managers, speech therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, nurses, and other itinerant support. You might have people that are working with students have vision issues or hearing issues. 
And I think that it's really important, again, as I've mentioned, for staff to know the rules of these professionals and how you can work together, teaming together to work with your students. My article really focused on the role of the social worker and some of the ways that they can support teachers and some of the roles that social workers have the teachers need to understand in areas of, let's say, confidentiality. So I talked quite a bit about the role of the social worker keeping information confidential between the social worker and the student, and yet working within a system that involves other personnel and having that balance that respects the student legally and morally, as well as working within a system. But recognizing that teachers are the window to the needs of the student and working together to identify what's going on with the student, what does the teacher identify that the student might need, and how can the social worker support that. And that could be through advocating for the student. It could be through consultation with the teacher. Social workers also have an opportunity in different settings to be a prevention specialist. So identifying very large issues that are going on and working with that in a tier one level, which would be for the entire building, that might be a, a program about anti-bullying or things like that. And then also clearly social workers are a first line person when there's a crisis, when there's a student who is deeply upset or when the, there's been a recent loss or when there's a crisis with a family, using them as a resource for that. And my downloadable also just reiterates that and refers to resources the teachers can access for understanding those roles. I'm really caught by your phrase, teachers are the windows to the students. I really like that a lot. And working with support personnel like a social worker, there's so much that happens there, the advocating, the consulting, the problem solving, and so on. Oftentimes our new teachers don't have a lot of experience working with support personnel. Their field experiences just didn't afford it. Maybe they did get a chance to work with a paraprofessional. Dustin, you mentioned paras earlier in the conversation. And learning to work with those individuals takes a skill and takes time. And that's about relationship building and communication. And I would also add, I, I love that DPT interjected the term trauma-informed. So being trauma-informed is fairly new to a lot of people. And of all the times to be aware of what that term means and how that comes out through, as DPT said, our lens as an adult, but also students and how this last 18, 19 months has impacted us. And how do we address that as a whole building? How do we address it in a class? And how do we address it individually for our students is very key. That's a whole nother topic. I completely agree, Nancy. Let's extend this. Dustin, as a building administrator, what was your contribution to the book? Talk about your downloadable. Great. Thank you. And just to, to tag on to what Nancy's talking about, for, for our new teachers out there, I would just, I would just say that um, as you're working with students, as you're working with families, um, as you're doing your own planning and assessment, if something is a challenge or something seems hard or you're getting frustrated by something, it is nearly always the case that the answer is in the room. 
that the answer is somewhere in the building. And as Nancy was talking about, a lot of those answers are going to be with our service providers, our speech pathologists, the counselors, the social workers, the ESOL teachers, the ways to kind of unlock some of these relationships and connections with our students are, are going to be with these valued professionals in our school. And I would highly encourage you and empower you to reach out to them when you think something isn't going right with a student. So uh, just a just a quick uh, way to connect to what Nancy was talking about. The submission that I had for this book is all about the idea of intentionality. I was talking about intentional instruction in our classroom. And some of the big ideas that I discussed is what great teaching looks like and, you know, and that it's it's authentic to the world around us and relevant um, for our students. And then the downloadable, some of the things that you'll see on there is, is either a way for you to reflect on some of the things that you've been doing or a way to kind of proactively plan the work that you're doing. And in the article, we, we talk a little bit about intentionality is, is obviously going to be on the the unit of instruction that you plan, you know, for the second quarter, or it might be on, you know, the lesson that you plan for Thursday, but it also can get down to smaller units of measurement. We can be intentional about the conversation that we have with a specific reading group or the one-on-one conference that we have with a student, a parent phone call, or even things like how we line our students up uh, waiting for the cafeteria, or as we're walking, we're floating around the room and we help a student adjust the papers on their desks. All those things can be intentional and they can have a purpose. They can either be connected to something that's happened before we know that that student with the messy desk needs a little help uh, getting their things organized, or it can be connected to somewhere that we want to go in the future. What we talk about with the new teachers is that be reasonable uh, at the beginning, start simple, find some things that you can kind of think about ahead of time and, and try them out and see if they work. And if they work, that's great. And if they don't, that's okay too. But at least you got started on that. And then the second thing is know that your ability in this area is going to develop over time. This idea of intentional instruction is what we talk about in the article, but just to kind of connect our conversation today. So much of the communication that we, and the relationship building that we've been talking about um, has a huge component of being intentional in that, how we start things, how we keep them going, and how we intentionally bring those relationships and that communication back to our students and families. What's great about the book and these downloadables, as you just mentioned, Dustin, are things that are just going to happen as new teachers, as pre-service teachers coming into the profession. Each of you created a piece that is so easily readable, doesn't take a long time to get through. And there's that downloadable. You can have it right now. You can use it tomorrow in your classroom. Take a look at it. It's called The New Teacher's Guide to Overcoming Common Challenges. Thank you, Beth. So to bring us to a bit of closure here today, if you could only give one bit of advice about relationship building and communication, what would you say to a new teacher? Nancy, would you please start us off here? Absolutely. I can never limit it to one. But I will tell you that when I talked already about the idea of breathing, I think that that's so important. When we talk about mindfulness and we talk about strategies that DT mentioned as well, having the moment to breathe, to get some oxygen to your brain, to really think about this. We were uh, followed Yale University's ruler program for the last several years. And there's something called a meta moment, which taking a a deep breath and taking a moment just to uh, survey the situation so that you don't say something you don't mean to say, you don't uh, act on something you don't mean to act on, because that's a great technique to use for students and to model for them. But the most important thing that I always said to each of my students that I was supervising at the master's level was to identify a mentor. 
And we've talked about this, Deep D talked about uh, not making it so that it's just a friendship, but it's professional. And Dustin supported that as well. And I think that finding somebody in your grade level or finding somebody in your department, or frankly, finding something, someone outside of your building that you respect, that will mentor you, that you can be completely honest with through the years that can help you grow will really help you have somebody that you can confide in who's not supervising you, who's not evaluating you, but can help you grow. Finding that mentor is really important. And that's part of also taking care of yourself. Thank you, Nancy. It is so important to take responsibility for your own growth, not wait for others to nurture you along, but to start to identify what your needs are and ways and people that can help you achieve your own goals. So thank you for that, Nancy. Dustin, how, what would be your greatest bit of advice on building relationships for that new teacher? I would say it has to do with moments. Every moment matters, but it's often the smallest ones that matter the most. And what I mean by that is that every single day, we're going to have opportunities to unlock the relationship with our students or to have a breakthrough moment with them. And we don't know when that's going to come. I know that all of us could probably reflect on positive, amazing moments from our childhood or our education that we had with a teacher. And we also can think of some negative ones. And some of those negative ones might have been through a comment or a look or a remark. Um, so know that we always have the ability to have a, an amazing moment with our students. And it's, it might be just a small smile that you give them or a small moment of reassuring them, telling them it's going to be okay. That could be the thing that will set you up not only for a great year, but set that student up for many years ahead. Take advantage of those small moments and know that even the smallest things can have a big impact on our students. Thank you. That's really good advice for us all to have in any of our daily relationships with anyone we meet. Many of the ideas I've heard today from uh, Nancy and Dustin and thought all the things I've thought about, I'd have to bring it back down to remember to be kind, compassion for yourself, we can compassion with yourself, compassion with others, and also remember that we want to be part of building a compassionate organization or system. Even if that school has existed before you got there, now you're part of that system. As a new teacher, sometimes we don't feel that way. We just feel we're, you know, the new person here and don't know what's going on. We're part of the change that will happen going forth just by virtue of our, you know, becoming part of that place. I think that's the most important thing I would always advise. And it addresses this point Dustin made about those small moments, I think that in that moment, whatever is unfolding, if we can remember that what we want to, at the end of the day, leave the other person and ourselves feeling is or reflecting on is going back to the, the feeling of caring that we both shared, right? That this person heard me out and they genuinely care about me. It seems so simple and obvious, but it's really tough to remember this. And that once you're in the day-to-day, -day, because the grades are important and the behavior charts feel so important and whether we'll make it to music on time feels so important in elementary school. You don't want to be the one throwing off everyone's schedule, those sorts of things. But in those moments, the more we can remember that what matters the most is that relationship, then we can bring compassion to the fore. And so I think that that's what I would leave us with. I remember as a student and also as a teacher hearing from students 
They oftentimes don't remember what you taught them, but they always remember how they felt in your classroom. That's always about relationship building and communication. Deep Deep, if our listeners would like to contact you, how can they do so? I would love to hear back from anybody who'd like to contact me. Um, the best way is by email. My email is carode at uiwtx.edu. And my last name is K-H-A-R-O-D. So carode at uiwtx for texas.edu. Thanks, Deep D. Nancy, uh-huh. what about yourself? How can listeners contact you? Thank you. Yes, they can contact me at N Betker. So that's N as in Nancy, B as in boy, E-T-K-E-R at gmail.com. N Betker at gmail.com. Thanks, Nancy. And Dustin, uh, bat cleanup for us here. How can listeners contact you? You bet. Uh, you can find me as the principal at Franklin Middle School in Chantilly, Virginia. And uh, again, email is probably the best way for me. And that would be dpright, W-R-I-G-H-T. So dpright at fcps.edu. Thank you, panelists. It's been great to hear from you today and spending time with us and sharing your good strategies. The information that you've shared really opens up discussion about strategies for new teachers as they prepare their classrooms here at the start of the academic year. And for our audience, our listeners, we appreciate you being here today and taking time to listen to this podcast. And we hope you'll become a regular follower. Feel free to share feedback with us about this podcast or topics you want to hear about. You can go to newteachersguide.org and leave us a message there or follow us on Twitter. You can DM us at newteachertalk1. And remember, as a new teacher, we are here to help you.